Rebecca Costa, and I'm a technology and science futurist and sociobiologist. And on today's program, we're going to be talking about the long tail repercussions of COVID-19, as well as how AI and machine learning can help us to predict when these threats are coming. Welcome back to part two of this delicious episode of Curiosity Bites with my special guest, Rebecca Costa. She is a social biologist and a futurist. She is uh, the best-selling author of The Watchman's Rattle, A Radical New Theory of Collapse, and uh, On the Verge, which is, these books are spectacular, and they really look at things in a very different way than we've even considered. She is a researcher, she's a scientist, and she's a pretty interesting lady. And we've been talking about all kinds of pretty, pretty cool things, including the dignity of money, um, the happiness factor, what really makes us happy, what doesn't make us happy, uh, if we've been poisoned by the American dream, why lottery people commit suicide, and hedonic adaptation. Where we want to jump into and where we want to start in this particular section is this desire that we have um, that I believe we're seeing more and more is the desire to make things simple. The world is becoming increasingly complex at many levels. Um, you know, you used to phone your mom but, uh, or you'd write her a letter. Now you can phone her, you can text her, you can write her a letter, you can write her an email, you can send her a message on Facebook, you can send her an Instagram message, you can WhatsApp her or a million other things. And, you know, well, I did send you a message but I send it to you here, it's just too much. It seems too complex. Talk to us, Rebecca, about what you are noticing about this desire for the simple in a complex world. One way to think of what we're going through right now is the fact that uh, the spacesuit that we're all trapped in, the biological spacesuit, mm -hmm. right? It evolves new features over periods of tens of millions of years. So if right. I'm driving in my car uh, uh, and I'm drinking my coffee and I want to use my nav system and I want to talk on my phone and I'm driving a you know two-ton vehicle, we have to create laws to say, hey, you're not designed to do all of those things at the exact same time. Right. Very Every society from the beginning of time has a bifurcation, if you will, a bifurcation between how fast human beings can physiologically adapt, mm -hmm. right? What assets we have, how many fingers, how, our how big our brains are, yes. how well our eyes function, that how fast our feet can move. Uh, we have this biological uh, progress. And then separate from that, we have social progress and social progress begins to exponentiate. So that to the point where new data is coming at us at a, at a rate in which we can't possibly, we don't have the brains or the apparatus to be able to absorb it. So we're now relying on, um, I wouldn't even be able to tell you one phone number of one relative of mine. I, I need my smartphone. Uh, all the yeah. phone, all the numbers are in the smartphone. If I lose that smartphone, I don't know how I would get in touch with them. I suppose I'd have to use Instagram or email yeah. or something else. That that, but that's also stored. I don't know. I don't know by heart their email addresses. No. So becoming more and more dependent on machines, and that's what 
Ray Kurzweil talked about the man machine meld. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's a bad thing when we ignore the fact that we get to a point and every civilization does where things are so complicated, the laws, the way we pay our taxes, uh, the, the, where we get our water and food, there are so many layers and things are so complicated that our brains were fundamentally not designed to try to make rational sense. So, and the example I like to give uh, often is that, uh, you know, you're and I, I have brains that understand barter, right? Mm -hmm. You have some eggs, I have some carrots, we meet in the street, we bicker until we both think we got the better deal, we make a right. trade. Now yes. I go home and I have eggs and carrots and you go home and you have eggs and carrots. Our brains understand barter. It's why we like flea markets. It's like we, we like garage sales and things like that. Um, what we don't understand is credit default swaps on Wall Street. Yeah. And apparently the experts didn't understand this as well. Yeah. Uh, the financial as demonstrated got, in 2008. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the financial markets have gotten so complicated that even the experts don't understand how currency is being valuated, which seems to be completely political. It's not based on gold or silver or anything tangible. Um, uh, they don't really understand what the stock market is doing because in the middle of COVID, the market was going up and unemployment was going up and, and people were declaring bankruptcy at larger rates. And so they, we don't really understand how these systems are working together or what, the, what they really mean. And, and, and so as a result of that, what happens is when it gets too complicated, we rely on beliefs. Mm -hmm. We say, I think the stock market's going to go up. Right. And, and, and then when we poke a, a layer further and we go, why do you think that? We can go one layer, well, because um, interest rates are low, okay? That's one factor, okay? And what else? And then there's nothing else. We, right. we grab one fact and another fact and another fact. And because there's so many facts out there, we put them into our own private personalized algorithm and we make a leap of faith. And right. that's what I mean by belief. A, a belief is not based on empirical facts and it's very easy for the human brain to, to adopt a belief. You just mm -hmm. say, I believe it, I don't believe it. It's right. very hard to prove a fact, right? And, and in science, it's a rigorous- I hear you. Uh, in science, you are you there? Hello? Dov? And so it's very easy to adopt a belief and it's very difficult to prove a fact. And in right. science, the bar is set very, very high for yes. a fact to be proven. Even after 155 years, we're still calling the theory of evolution, a theory, yes. even though we look at all the evidence, you know, that we have in natural history museums all around the world. Uh, even in spite of that, the the uh, the rigors that are required to prove a fact are, are very, the standards are very high. So the brain gets a little bit lazy in a complex environment. It right. starts to make a lot of decisions based on beliefs. 
And where societies are in danger is when complexity, right, causes mass confusion between what is an empirically proven fact and what is a, a belief, an unproven belief, and when that begins to percolate into leadership. When public policy then begins to be forged on unproven beliefs rather than empirical fact. We now know that every major civilization from the Mayans, the mm -hmm. Romans, the Ming Empire, the Egyptian Empire, the Khmer Empire, that this was the precursor to some event triggering unilateral collapse, social collapse. And this is why it's dangerous. That we are going through a very dangerous time right now where most people, and particularly people in power and in leadership, are not able to distinguish a fact from an unproven belief. So I, I think this is a fascinating area uh, to look into, um, particularly because I, I was talking about somebody about this a couple of weeks ago, where I said, you know, I'm old enough and driven enough that I remember when um, I could investigate conspiracy theories. Um, and I did. I spent a long time investigating them in, in the mid, late 80s and early 90s. I could investigate them uh, as conspiracy theories, and there were small pockets of individuals, but now there's this megaphone called the internet. And so there's this wave, massive wave, where things that are conspiracy theories become believable to many people, facts, not necessarily what are facts, but believable facts. And so this is part of the challenge in this desire to make things simple. So the reason the American political system is um, falling apart is because there's a, a cabal run by a bunch of pedophiles who are drinking children's blood. Doesn't seem outrageous to you? No. Okay, well, fine. So now that's believable. Yes. And they're being run out of a pizza shop in New York uh, because there's a basement in there with these children who are enslaved. Yes. Okay, but we check the basement of that pizza shop and there is no basement. It doesn't exist. Oh, well, that's because, you know, I mean, it just goes on. So I, I, for me, what, what I'm putting forward to you, and I want to understand from your point of view, is, is what you're talking about, is that the desire to believe in conspiracy theories to make it as simple as possible so that we don't have to deal with the complexities? I, I believe that uh, conspiracy theories are based on uh, a stream of facts that have been conveniently knitted together. Mm -hmm. One way to think about conspiracy theories is this. The more data you have, the easier it is to cherry pick this, 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 and this, push it together and say, therefore equals this, mm -hmm. right? So if you have more to choose from, the more bizarre the conclusion can be, right? right? So yeah. we are inundated with so much data that now it's become a, a problem of marrying disparate facts together, right? And being able to say, okay, that means this. And the example that I give uh, many of my students is this, there was an experiment that was done where there was a jar 
and they put a bunch of fleas in the jar and uh, they yelled into the jar and, and they measured that the fleas jumped up this high. And then they removed one leg from each flea and they yelled into the jar and the fleas jumped slightly less high. And then they removed another leg. Eventually they moved all the legs and they yelled and the fleas did not jump. And they said, we have proven that fleas listen with their legs. As we removed each leg, they became less capable of hearing. And eventually all the legs were removed and they couldn't hear the shouting at all. And they did this experiment under a variety of temperatures, uh, environmental conditions all around the world. And they proved that fleas listen with their legs. Now, we know that's not right, but that's an airtight scientific experiment that drew the wrong conclusion. Right. Right? Show me how it drew the wrong conclusion. Well, this is what happens with conspiracies. I see. Conspiracies, they have a ring of truth to them because they're like the flea experiment. Yes. A plus B, B plus C, C plus D equals the conspiracy. And if you follow the logic, it makes perfect sense. Except for fleas don't listen with their legs. And this is the part where reasonable people go, yes, but you left out A.1 and A.2 and B.1. You, you, you select, you cherry picked these facts, knitted them together and drew the wrong conclusion. And this is why conspiracy theories are so stubborn. Yes. Because they have some factual basis to them. Never laugh at a conspiracy theory believer because they will throw facts at you that are real, but yep. it's the combination of the facts that draw the wrong conclusion. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense because um, it's what I um, speak about in my work. It's an emotional logic process. And what I mean by that is uh, two plus two equals a giraffe. That's the analogy I say all the time. Two plus two equals a draft for me, but it might equal a chair for you or rage or whatever it is. And it's because it's the, it's the presumptive outcome of uh, putting those facts together of what I want it to mean versus what it actually means. And again, as you said, there's this cherry picking. Um, but in the context of what I'm saying here, what I'm asking you about is, do you think that, I mean, obviously we have, like I said, the megaphone of the internet, but do you think the desire to believe these things more than say 25 years ago is, is, is stronger because things are more complex? Yes, because uh, as they get complex, uh, you have to make decisions, you have to move forward. And what are you supposed to make them on? You can't even make a health decision because you're, you don't have a medical degree. So you go to a doctor and a doctor tells you something, say, well, I want a second opinion. And you go to a second doctor. And if he tells you the same thing the first doctor told you, then you think the first doctor's pretty good. If they tell you something different, then you say, wow, I need a third opinion. 
And you keep going and searching till you find some redundancy. Now think of how low the bar is. You're just mm. looking for redundancy from one other individual, right? Right. So this is the state that we're in right now. I don't have a, you know, I don't have a degree in nuclear physics, but I probably have an opinion about nuclear energy. I don't have a, uh, you know, I, I'm not an organic farmer, but I probably have an opinion about organic foods. Yeah. But now take this to the leaders who are forging public policy, right? Uh, I mean, they have to make decisions about nuclear energy and about healthcare. They're not doctors. Most of the leaders in the, in the world uh, are have law degrees yes and and what do you think law degrees are law degrees are teaching you how to professionally uh, uh, argue and win yes that's what a law degree is it's to show you how to legitimately argue a case and win <laughs> and the case might be against the IRS or it might be against uh, you know the opposing political party but that's who we have in leadership. We want for simplicity because our brains are designed to be able to make rational sense out of simplicity, like bartering. Yes. Right? I can't, you know, I know that a lot of people will relate to this. Once a year, I have to sit in front of my financial advisor <laughs> uh, because I'm too stupid to be able to figure out how to manage my own money. Uh, and I sit in front of him and I would say, I understand about 70% of what he's talking about. Doing better than most the of us. Other 30%, and, and that's doing really well. Yeah, by absolutely. The way. But the other 30%, I find myself nodding my head and smiling and saying, oh, well, that's very good. Oh, that's, I have no idea what he's talking about. Don't, don't know. I, I, I just pray I picked the right guy. I can't be the only person listening to your podcast no. that feels that way. Same thing about your doctor. If you happen to have a health scare, you're going to be sitting there and 80% or 90% of what they're talking about, you're not going to understand at all. This is the level of complexity we're dealing with, which is why we long for a simpler time when we could understand and make rational decisions. And we have become a highly irrational society right now because social progress has moved much too quickly for the brains that we have and what our brains are designed to be able to handle. Well, so, you, you know, you talked about this in the Watchman's Rattle where, you know, uh, as you said, you know, the Mayans or, or the Romans or any of those previous uh empires and 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 times and that they all disappeared um i want to put that in context of what we're the world we're living in as we record this in 2021 in a you know people storming the capital in in january 21 um radical political changes around the world um the economics of america versus china um, all these things that I'm seeing, I mean, I you and I talked about this in, in a previous conversation where I, in 1989, talked about the fall of the American empire, that our time is up and this is the beginning of the fall of the American empire. And if we don't pay attention, that's exactly where we're going, that we have to become, we have to reach out, not in conquering the way that other empires have tried to do, but in embracing, 
otherwise, we will just go the way of the Romans or anybody else for that matter. When you look at those, um, you know, the Mayans or whoever it is, the Egyptians, and you look at those and you look at where we are at right now, what are the glaring neon signs that we are ignoring? Well, on that same path. We're, 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 I, I think COVID-19 was a classic example mm -hmm. uh, that was sort of an in-your-face example, right, mm -hmm. of facts versus beliefs. Mm -hmm. You know, you had people that uh, decided that wearing a mask was a political statement. Right. You know, um, and, and you had people that were um, uh, very, you know, um, concerned about the vaccines were being manipulated in some way. Um, uh, you, you have people that aren't willing to listen to the scientists mm -hmm. and yet they have no science background. You know, the people who, the, the people in the mainstream, there was a time when, uh, you know, someone who was credentialed and had spent 50 years as a virologist you might listen to that person, yep. right? Uh, and yes, there would be competing, uh, you know, opinions, and that's okay. That's allowed yeah. in the scientific community, but it didn't mean you wouldn't get vaccinated, and it didn't mean you wouldn't wear a mask, right? You would just basically say, yes, the scientists are arguing about it, but pretty much the vast majority agree wearing a mask and getting vaccinated are really good idea. It will save my life, so I'm going to go do it. But now, in an odd sort of way, everybody thinks that they have a right to decide. This mm -hmm. is what democracy has done. It's mm -hmm. made my decision about contaminating others and potentially dying as valuable as a person who was a virologist for 50 years. I don't know how this happened. I don't know why I think my opinion is as good as an expert who dedicated their whole life and that's their area of specialization. And so unfortunately, and you know, you may get a lot of flack on your program for this. I was on a program and, and, and the woman was saying, well, I don't think this and I don't think that. And I said, I don't care about your opinion. Right. I am not interested in your opinion whatsoever, and no one else should listen to what you have to say because you have no science background. Right. In fact, I don't even know if you passed the science courses you were given in high school. <laughs> and, and she got very offended, and I said, please don't be offended. That goes for all listeners. You don't have an opinion. Go to an expert, go to many experts, and take their opinions. You know, I, I, I don't understand why everyone thinks that their decision is equal to. This is really a problem. Well, I think that I, I can see, you know, psychologically, I can see a side of that. And the side of it I see is this, is that um, I think that with power comes responsibility, <laughs> i.e. Spider-Man. Um, but what I mean by that is that I think that sometimes that power, and it might be the power of knowledge or authority, has been misused. And so as a result, people um, can lack trust of those, quote, authority figures, um, because 
they have done those things. Nobody's saying they haven't. But that doesn't mean that you should throw objectivity to the wind. And I think that that's part of the problem. Because psychologically, we are very much either or. You know, you're a scientist, but you can't have a faith. You're a faith, you're a faith person, you can't believe in science. That's nonsense. You and I talked about it before. We have to be able to embrace a couple of different ideas, at least a couple of different ideas at a time. And I think, again, that that need for, you know, to to brandish them as the bad. I mean, you know, when I teach people how to be speakers, one of the things I'll say to them is human beings like an enemy. You got to know that human beings like an enemy. We like to say that's them. This is us. We other people all the time. And that's why we can drop bombs on children because we're good at othering. It's a horrible thing about us, but it is actually what we do. And so when we say, you know, these scientists manipulated the data, when we say they did this or they did that, now it's very easy to throw a global blanket over that, that bunch of people. And that's the problem. We don't bother to go to the to boil it down. And that for me is where it happens is that's why it's easy for people to go, well, my opinion is as valuable as the virologist. No, it's not. But the viral, the biology, the virologist was, was corrupt. Yes. That one, that doesn't mean they all are. Believe me, there are a lot of politically twisted human beings who are in power across the world, but there are some good ones who started out with really wonderful intent and are still doing wonderful work. Are there a lot of corrupt ones? Yes. Should you trust? I don't know. You have to make up your own mind. But that's what, I mean, do you, do you think it's that? Is that what you're seeing? I do. I, I, I very much think that, uh, that people don't know who to trust. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to trust. Mm -hmm. uh, they've lost their faith and their trust in their leadership. Uh, they pretty much feel that everybody at the top of corporations is corrupt, that everybody in government is, you know, agendized in one way or another. And then, you know, every news story uh, feeds into that. Uh, but there, you know, I had mentioned to you that I'm getting ready to do a podcast. And, and part of the reason I, I felt I wanted to do that was because there are many, many, many experts who don't have a stage or a platform to be able to get valuable and, and vetted and useful information out to the public. The, the mainstream uh, media is really constrained and doesn't seem to be interested if somebody doesn't have a following of a million people on Facebook. They don't wanna even put your opinion up there. And, uh, and, and so there's a lot of um, experts who are being quashed. And this is why I love your program so much because you, you create a platform for that. And I hope to do that as well, is right. to bring these people forward so that they could talk to you about, you know, what did we find out about uh, what people ate and their vulnerability to COVID-19? Yes. You know, um, that isn't out there. Uh, what have we found out about uh, when it is safe to bring troops out of Afghanistan, you know, and how to do it. That isn't out there. No. Uh, what, have, what have we found out about climate change since Al Gore's movie, you know, that right. said it was global warming? Well, some people are having global freezing. So what have we learned from, from that point? There, there is a lot of really valuable information, intelligent information, vetted information out there 
There just aren't any venues to get it out to the public. And if it goes out to the public and you suddenly have a million people or two million people following you, then that is power. Today, that is yeah, power. There are two things that are power, audience and money. Yep. That's it. We're down yep. to that. And maybe fame. Although fame's kind of on the decline because the famous people are acting weird and, and they're getting strange. <laughs> <laughs> they're getting stranger. Well, the Kanye's of the world have kind of gone off the rails. So fame is in there a little bit, but definitely money and definitely audience, right? Audience. But, you know, but um, oftentimes fame breeds the other two. You know, so right. you look at you look at the youngest Kardashian. She's a billionaire. You know, for what? For yes. being famous and a huge audience, right? For being famous, she created a huge audience, so it gave her the influence that gave her the money. So it's it's a it's a fascinating time. You know, I often I I my thinking is I wonder what the aliens are looking at and thinking. Wow, these 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 ants are weird. Right. Suddenly, you this non-talented individual has got a got uh, five million followers. Let's give this person all the power, all the influence, all the money. Wow! And this person over here is a scientist or an artist or something powerful and and significant into human beings, meaningful. Let's just ignore them. <laughs> like, well, you know, my, my they are used to tell me things that you know didn't make any sense when I was younger but make tend to make a lot more sense now uh, uh, and one of the things he used to say is uh, at dinner time our if our phone rang uh, you know he would say oh don't don't worry about answering the phone you know let's just have our family uh, have our dinner we never answered the phone and I said but dad you know uh, it could be the PTA, it could be, you know, our neighbors and all that. And he said, yes. Um, and he said, and let me tell you something. Good people, good people who are doing the right things in life, they're not out recruiting. They're worried about their kids. They're worried about their work. They're worried about their, their neighbors. They're worried about their coworkers, their families. Uh, and he said, but uh, those people that are on the phone calling you in the middle of dinner to tell you about what so-and-so did, or let's go to the school and complain about this one. He goes, they're recruiting. The troublemakers are always recruiting. <laughs> and he said, so the problem is, is that they make the loudest noise. And then all the good people are at home just, you know, washing their clothes and their cars and taking their kids to school. And he said, so what has to happen is the good people have to start making the noise. They, they have to, they have to, he goes, but they have no desire to do that. And he said, this is why politics are the way they are. Mm -hmm. it's a very because no one who has a good, fulfilling, peaceful life, right? And is minding their business and doing the right things all around them would seek that audience, that adulation. Mm -hmm. It's not in them. And this is, this is where the political system breaks down. And, and so this is why, you know, you and I are doing, I'm gonna be doing a podcast too, is to say, I had to pull these people 
kicking and screaming to want to do these podcasts with me. Right. Because they said, no, you know, I, I'm not really a podcast or radio or TV person. I, I'm over here just doing my work. Right. And but those are the people the world has to hear from, don't yeah. you think? And I, if absolutely. they don't do something, and I guilted every one of them into it, by the way. <laughs> Good for you. I was shameless. Yes. Fantastic. I guilted every one of them into it and, and said, if you don't speak up, you're creating the problem. Because there's no counter to the Kardashians, right? To, to the, 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 you know, to how uh, vaporous the information is, to the conspiracy theories. There has to be a counterpoint. Yeah. And to that extent, the venues matter and, and the medium matters and programs like yours matter. Thank you. Appreciate that. We are already at the end of our second section. We're going to go into the third section in a moment. And I just want to say uh, that we're going to, we're going to take a look at, well, what does it take to adapt? What does it take to become a fast adapter when there is sudden changes? I want to look at that. I want to look at the, uh, the power of predictive analytics and AI and what is that going to do to us in the next couple of parts. And I also want to look at um, the changes in our society with a radical right and and the woke movement and are these actually predictors of uh, the massive challenges we're about to face so we're going to come back in one click so stay curious my friends stay curious and we'll see you in the next part